Running Light Ministry Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. Hey everybody, welcome to the Better Pleasure Podcast. This is Bo. I'm Peter. And we are with Running Light Ministries, and I'll try not to smack my lips too much during the <laughs> podcast, because that would be really a bummer. It would be annoying, yeah. <laughs> all the time to hear that, but we're thankful for you guys checking us out. This is on Facebook Live, and it'll be on our SoundCloud in a little bit, but we are going to discuss something that we've never really talked about much, and that is some of the kind of sexual oddity questions maybe in the Bible. Yeah. Um, and so I wrote down some of them that seemed kind of popular, Nephilim, how sex plays uh, in the last days. H- um, is the Antichrist asexual? What is the great harlot that rides the beast in Revelation? And in the end times, is it going to be a time of cultural um, licentiousness or is it cultural abstinence from sex? Interesting, huh? Yeah, interesting stuff. What do you think, man? Because the reason why I was thinking about this is, too, is a lot of people look at kind of things like pornography in today's culture and they, they look at, kind of demonic possession or demonic things or, you know, the influence of the demonic in modern day pornography. So they might, they might kind of take that into all different directions, of course, but the bottom overall idea is that over the porn industry today, there's demonic influence. And it's to, of course, get us off of the the right path and so there's these kind of things that float around that are uh, ideas that you know and there's threads throughout the bible where we see a lot of sexuality throughout the scriptures and there's a lot of pictures like in the book of revelation where when you have this woman riding the beast and it says you know mother of harlots um you know, there's some kind of sexual innuendo, it sounds like, going on there. And so what is that all about? You know, how how does that um, relate to anything today or does it relate to anything today? And um, is what we're seeing with the mass amounts of pornography in the world, is that is that all play a part into kind of the great harlot in the book of Revelation? Hmm. So... Yeah, these are all really cool topics. <laughs> <laughs> Stuff that we just maybe we should have some side music that kind of gets a little spooky. Yeah, <laughs> some metal. You know, <laughs> yeah, we could have that. Play Metallica in the back. <laughs> but then there's the one in, in 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 about the Nephilim too, and that that's another interesting one. So, w- do you have any thoughts on stuff like that? Yeah. So, I, when it comes to the Bible, the interesting thing about the Bible is that. It has basically every type of sexual perversion within it that you can think of. Um, it's it's contained within it. Uh, the only stories that I can think of in the Bible that are not mentioned when it comes to sexual perversion would be stories of like bestiality and things like that. But I mean, you got pretty much everything else. You got polygamy. You got gang rape. You have ra- you know gang rape to actually kill somebody. Um, you have homosexuality. You have um, we don't see polyandry, though. Huh? You don't see polyandry. You do see polygamy. Right. Um, you do see 
<clears throat> you do see homosexuality, you do see incest, you do see, you, you know, you name it. You see adultery, it's, it's in there. So it's really interesting that the Bible has so many perversions within it. And uh, the reason that you see these things is because what the Bible is trying to do is it's, first of all, taking an unblinking look at history. I mean, it's saying this is what historically happened, but it's also contrasting God's perfect will with man's will, man's fallen will, meaning that when God creates man and we throw off his law and we say we want to determine what's right and wrong for ourselves, which is what eating of the tree of good knowledge, uh, tree of knowledge of good and evil was all about. It's saying like we want to determine what's right and wrong for ourselves. God kind of lets humanity do its thing for a while. He really only selects small groups of people at a time to give the <coughs> truth of his morality to, uh, the Israelites being one of those people, uh, the, the main people that he starts working through in the Old Testament. But prior to that, you have other people, people like you know the, the line of Seth, which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, you have people like you know Noah and uh, his descendants, and then later Abraham and through him, the Israelites. But uh, the reason why God's doing this is because he's wanting humanity to see, like, okay, you want to define sexuality in your own terms, go for it. You know, like, see how that works out for you. And so he allows humanity to kind of do its thing, to to choose all the sexual ways that we want to go, and then he compares it to his perfect way. So he gives the law to, like, one group of people. Now, with the Nephilim, so th I just wanted to preface that by saying that the Bible definitely has sexual oddities within it. Uh, it's it's there, but it's there for a purpose. Now, the Nephilim is one of those things where people look at and say, this is definitely a sexual perversion passage. Uh, for those of you guys who don't know about the Nephilim, I'll read you the verse, and we'll talk a little bit about it. The word Nephilim, by the way, just means fallen ones. Uh, that's all it means. But essentially what's going on in Genesis chapter 6 is the fall has just happened. Um, and you have basically humanity separated into two factions. You have the line of Cain, who are primarily into sexual perversions. You see the first instance of polygamy through the line of Cain. Um, you see them not following God, doing their own thing. And then you have the line of Seth that's godly, meaning that they are calling upon the name of the Lord. They have a relationship with God. And this is what's going on on the planet right now. This is pre-flood, but post-fall, if that makes sense. Yes. So, so it's, <laughs> it's, it's, this is Genesis before six. the flood right. of Noah. Right. But it's after the fall of Adam and Eve. Right. And so what we see is there is genealogies. Mm -hmm. There's there's sons of Adam and Eve and the trajectory of them. And we see what you're saying is that through Cain, you have guys like Lamech who have multiple wives and they start going that direction. And then you're saying that it was through the line of Seth that we get something else. Right. Through the line of Seth, we have, you know, eventually Noah's going to come through the line of Seth. But, um, yeah, so the line of Seth is worshiping God as far as we can tell. You get these genealogies. But apparently, by the time you get to Noah, Noah and his family are basically the only ones who are wanting God. Uh, they're the only ones that are pursuing God at that point. So, obviously, even Seth's line gets corrupted 
which plays into one of the theories of what's going on in Genesis 6. So Genesis 6 verse 1, I'm just going to read it, and then I'll talk about certain other biblical authors and their possible reference to this moment, and we'll talk about some possibilities what's going on. Um, I don't really take a firm stance on this one, by the way. I, I do believe uh, that there's a more physical thing going on here as opposed to spiritual, but I don't take a strong stance either way. But this is what Genesis 6 1 says. Now it came to pass when the men began to multiply on the face of the earth that the daughters were born to men, to men, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, that they bore children to them. Those were mighty men who were of old men of renown. And the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of his and thought of his heart was only evil continually, and then God declares the flood. Now, interestingly, the fall has already happened, as, as we talked about. The fall has already happened, but clearly something happened here that was so grotesque to God that he contemplates wiping humanity off the face of the earth. So after the fall, God is okay preserving mankind, but mankind clearly did something in Genesis 6 that makes God say, no, no. You guys are done because this is the what you're what you're getting at is this is the pre of the flood right right so bef this is the event that kind of really settled it yeah as far as the flood not only that but after the flood what you see is you see that there's something some sort of a secondary fall happens here and what I mean is that what you see occur after the flood is you see the lifespan of mankind shrink drastically um so it there was a uh, process of shrinking uh happening pre-flood but after the flood it like it's drastically less uh it goes from people living to like 900 years to like going to 300 and 200 years which still is, it's a lot to us <laughs> but to them i mean if you're if the average life expectancy was 900 years old and now you're only living to 300 years old it would be the equivalent of people today only living to be 30 years old and dying uh, it's a drastic, drastic decrease in the life expectancy. So some sort of a, the, not only, the, God was planning on wiping out humanity, but because of the faithfulness of Noah, he decided to preserve Noah's line. But even Noah's line is impacted negatively by the flood. So this is, a, like I said, it's a drastic thing. So you can't lessen what's going on. So what are the theories? There's about, there's three main theories. The first theory is that the sons of God were angelic beings who came down to earth and had sexual intimacy with women and produced... That sounds pretty pretty interesting. Yeah, sounds pretty crazy, sounds pretty interesting. Produced kind of hybrid angelic human beings. And essentially what people of this theory would say is that God needed to judge mankind again because this this was like an unholy offspring. He he never intended for man and for angelic beings to ever cohabitate. And the idea I think I've always heard too is that there's a prophecy in the early parts of Genesis that are s stating that it's through the woman uh, that the uh, Messiah would come. 
the one that would rectify the fall. And so the corruption of angels and human beings having sex would be just that, the corruption. Right. So of of that pure human line of the Messiah. Right. And some other supporting evidence that people from this side have uh, is, first of all, it's from the section itself. There's the section here, section Second Peter, and section in Jude that support this theory. And then also some historical um, non-biblical texts support this theory as well, which we'll talk about in a second. So the first line that really supports this theory is that these offspring, so it talks about this cohabitation, and then it says there were also giants on the earth in those days and also afterward. So the assumption here is that verse 4, where it talks about the giants, is connected to verse 3. So that this cohabitation is producing these giants. So that that would be what purveyors of this theory would say. Of like, that's what we see. These mighty men of old, these Nephilim, are clearly not purely human. They must have some sort of other genealogy within them that's enabling them to be almost superhuman. Uh, other th- other places in the Bible, like I said, in Jude, it talks about angels not keeping their proper abode. And then he switches directly to talking about Sodom and Gomorrah and talking about how the people in Sodom and Gomorrah went after strange flesh. So, again, purveyors of this theory would connect the two. They would say, see, the angels did not keep their proper abode. And then how did they not keep their proper abode? And they're saying Jude connects the two and says they didn't keep their proper abode in the same way that the men of Sodom went after strange flesh. Yeah, and we can maybe go in there. If we look at verse 3, it says, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. So it's interesting that he says, um, that he says man forever. He doesn't say, like, My spirit shall not strive with man and angels forever. Hmm. He says, With man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his day. So it seems like he's judging man, mankind. Right. Yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days. Right. So, and also afterward, the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, and they were the mighty men of renown. So it sounds like the men of renown are different from the the giants. Right, which would go into the other theory, so which we'll talk about in a little bit. So, people so, so the one theory links this, them together. They link them together. They say these are the same people. The, okay, the, so the, the mighty men of renown are the giants. Right. The other theories would separate the two. They would say, no, these are, these are distinct. They're referring to a couple different things happening. Okay. Um, so in Jude, this is the section that I was quoting. Yeah. Um, in Jude, basically, he's going over this and in verse 6 so Jude only has one chapter so it's Jude verse 6 uh, says and the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh are set forth as an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire mm. so Jude, so the purveyors of this theory would again link those two. So they would say that Jude is saying that they didn't keep their proper abode. So people against this theory would say, well, Jude is just saying that the angels didn't keep their proper abode in one way. And then the people inside of Gomorrah did not keep their proper abode in a different way. 
and God's judging them. Yeah, but, so they both aren't a sexual way. Right, so the pe- people who are against this theory would say, no, these aren't both sexual, but that's, that's what Jude's getting at. People who agree with this theory are like, no, they're both sexual things. That's why Jude's linking them. Uh, Second Peter, I'm not going to go there, but Second Peter says something kind of similar. But he talks about certain angels being sequestered in an uh, area that Peter calls Tartarus, by the way, in the Greek, which is a unique word, meaning that it's not used anywhere else in the Bible. So it seems to suggest that these angels did something that put them in their own holding cell their own like version of hell for a while until they're eventually going to go into the lake of fire which is interesting as well Mm. Um, the second theory so i'm going to blow through these other two theories pretty quickly because they're similar the second theory is that the sons of god are the righteous land uh the righteous line of seth and the sons of men are uh, daughters of men are the unrighteous line of cain and so this theory would say that they're cohabitating. So once again, as Bo said and as I've been saying, they would people of this theory would not associate the giants and the mighty men with the people who are coming from these this cohabitation. And they wouldn't associate what the angels did with the sexual misconduct of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, the third theory is similar, but it's slightly different. It's saying instead that the sons of God is a reference to rulers. It's reference to um, unrighteous kings that were rising up on this on the earth at this time. So, and and they get this theory from you know when people are called sons of God in the Old Testament. Sometimes it can refer to them being sons of God in the sense that they are judges. rulers, judges, mighty people on the earth, and that's why their offspring are these mighty men things like that. So it's saying that there's these unrighteous gods, I mean the unrighteous men who are taking to them daughters. So it's more of a picture of the abuse of women. That's how people of this theory would see it. That these these men are the kings of this earth. They're evil, they're wicked, they're abusing women and that's what's going on. That's another interesting theory. Uh, again, I don't really agree with it, but it, it's an interesting theory nonetheless. Uh, also, I said that in secular history, there's some allusions to this, meaning in secular history, when you go to different uh, pagan backgrounds, whether they be Egyptian, Greek, Roman, whatever, there's this idea in them that, first of all, the kings descend from some sort of godly uh, godly heritage, that they have semi-divine, semi-mortal parentage, and that's why we should follow them. Uh, they also believed in heroes of old that, again, hold this semi-divine, semi-mortal parentage. So it's it's interesting, but like I said, I don't I really yeah, see Yeah, I wonder what the relevance—I um, know there's books that are written on this about what the relevant relevance is of all those thoughts and theories and how it relates to today, um, you know, of like the, the divine uh, and the human— that there's like a, uh, you know, that there there's these judges that are over, you know, kind of the world. And there's human kind of judges that are established by these maybe spiritual being judges. And I don't know what all that, <laughs> what, it all, what it all shakes down to, I guess. Right. Um, other than, you know, uh, you know, I mean, the Bible says that the world is, is held sway by the the wicked one. Mm. Um, it it calls the 
the adversary or the devil, the prince and power of the air. Um, does that mean airwaves, as in radio <laughs> <laughs> airwaves? Does that mean he's floating in the air? Um, there's all kinds of theories on that. Right. Um, and uh, but anyway, there's a lot of there's a lot of these podcast or these not just podcasts, but there's a lot of YouTube clips that like are really like gnarly with you know all this stuff. Right. Right. And it's a, it's an intriguing question. It's something to be thought about. I think that it gets a lot of airtime, like I said. Um, but whatever's happening here, it's clearly not making God happy. So either it's the delusion of the godly line, which is something that's biblical, right? So in, in the Bible, there's many times where the people of God are moved by cohabitating with people who do not believe in the true and living God. So, for instance, uh, Solomon, that was his downfall, was he took on wives who were pagan and they moved his heart away from Yahweh. Uh, also, in the book of Numbers, you see the Moabites doing something similar, where the people of Israel are brought into cohabitation with the Moabites and it leads them away from the true and living God. And Ezra and, and, and Ezra and Nehemiah used to be one book, but at the end of Nehemiah, that's the big thing that's happening, is the people of God are once again cohabitating with pagan people and that's moving them away from God. So we do see that that is something that happens throughout the Bible. So it's possible that that's also what's happening here in Genesis 6, uh, which would apply to what's going on in our world today of like, is there relevance to who Christians marry, things like that. Yeah, and in, in, in Genesis 6, too, it always brings up that question, like, do angels, can angels have si sex? Because Matthew 22, 30, uh, Jesus kind of goes into something where a lot of people go to this passage, mm -hmm. and I'm going to kind of flip there. It's going to take me a minute because I got this giant Bible in my hand. It's just, like, huge. Uh, 22, 30. It says, for in the resurrection, they neither marry, meaning humans, neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. Hmm. And so some people look at that and say, well, angels can't have sex. Right. You know, from that. But it's kind of, but I've always looked at that passage maybe a little bit different where it, it seems to ind not indicate, I don't know if it indicates that they can't have sex. Um, that they would be incapable. Yeah, the re yeah, incapable of it. It says in the resurrection, humans aren't going to marry right. nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels of God in heaven. So it seems to be indicating that they're, uh, that angels don't, Mary, right. So angels are, um, they do not have a marital relationship, right? And when you think about it in the Bible, it's like, you know, human beings can have intimacy with one another in many ways, non-sexual, right? You could be friends with someone, you can have emotional intimacy with someone by sharing deep things of the heart, things like that. There are many different types of intimacy you can have, but sex is special uh, because of the way that reflects God and because of the way that it can uh, procreate, things like that. Uh, sex is special, but do the angels have something similar to sex from what humans have? The idea that they don't marry would kind of preclude that. doesn't mean that they're incapable, meaning that they're incontinent, but what it means is that God didn't create them for that kind of relationship. God didn't intend for them to have a marriage relationship where it's one male angel, one female going angel. Going into the other. 
dedicated for life, right? Which is the proper place for sexuality in the biblical worldview is that it's, it's a symbol of the dedication and the unity that a man and a woman share for time and eternity. And so it doesn't seem like angels were created for that. However, does that mean that fallen angels couldn't do something like this, right? Does it mean that fallen angels couldn't like totally lack the ability to go against God's Yeah, and, and that's an interesting question too is because the, the Bible speaks that the angels fell. There's always the question of when the angels fell. Uh, I was listening to Chuck Smith once on this, Pastor Chuck Smith, and and he said, you know, it definitely happened sometime before the 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 garden because Satan was in the garden already fallen. So he seems to indicate that the angels that fell with him must have happened before the fall. Um I've I've disagreed with that, but yeah. yeah <laughs> and and yeah. yeah, and I'm not I'm not sure, yeah. you know, uh, I I kind of just it's one of mine where I don't know. Yeah, you I don't know? know. I definitely don't know. It, yeah. Um, I got theories. But obviously Satan's you know, there's some interesting there's uh, Satan's another angelic being uh, and and there's there's really different words to describe Satan. Um, just like there's these words seraphim, cherubim, that are used in the Bible to describe the types of uh, creatures that God has made. Um, whether they can have sex or not, or whether fallen angels, let's say that, go back to that idea, whether fallen angels can, is that what possession is? Is possession... Is a demon a fallen being, a fallen angel that takes possession of a person? Mm-hmm. And if that's what we're talking about, where a demon is a fallen angel and can possess a person, you know, then can someone who's possessed have sex? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and, and you know but it's the you know the demon in the person right i know uh, this is getting crazy but the reason why i think this is kind of interesting this whole demonic you know sex thing is because in modern day pornography some of the most popular porn and this is probably my expertise even more than the biblical stuff on this is is that you know comics is one of the biggest most watched or sought after kind of pornography and within the comic genre of of adult porn, there is a fascination with demonic figures and Nephilim-like figures. Right. In, in porn, so so it's not just intriguing to us that are in the Bible, but it's obviously intriguing to a lot of people out there. Right. That are are not so much into the Bible but they they take the concepts that are in the Bible right and then they they put it out there in you know porn form yeah and absolutely you know like I've spoken to some people who have had demonic encounters and some of those encounters have been sexual in nature doesn't mean that there was like a physical sexual thing but there was definitely something going on that was perceived in a sexual way where these people really felt like these demonic entities were trying to violate them in a sexual way. Which there was is a movie on that too. 
like years ago it just kind of hit me where like you know a demon kind of entity tried to get to a lady yeah I'm sure there's a lot of movies. Like that, <laughs> yeah. So if you go down the horror aisle, you probably find a lot. See, of I'm showing, I'm showing all stuff. my, my, yeah. my expertise on the weird stuff. Right, right. <laughs> that there's, there's perverse things. Yeah. So I, it, it's, it's an intriguing question. It's a, it's an interesting one. I, I think that, what's cool as Christians is that obviously we don't have to worry about that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. And also, even if you look at the world, the idea of this type of thing is rare if anything and can can there be a demonic hybrid human today no uh so even people who purvey that the the nephilim were demonic humans uh they would even say that no it doesn't happen anymore because god locked he sequestered those angels who did that in this area called tartarus so it is actually interesting because again what happened to the angels that followed Satan? Well, they became demons and they came to this earth. Uh, they Satan has access to heaven still, but the demons per, primarily they they're on this earth. So what hap what did those demonic entities do to get themselves in this Tartarus place where they can't even interact with the world until the last days? I don't know. I mean, they they obviously did something weird. You know, I don't. But know some what people they did. say some people say what they did is what's in Genesis right. six. Right. So they they are the sons of God. They are the angels that went into the daughters of men, hmm. and and out came the 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 men of renown. And other people would take the theory that in Revelation, certain demonic entities, like for instance in Revelation nine, Satan opens up something called the abyss. Right. And demonic entities emerge from the abyss and they start tormenting man. So some people would take, like people like me, we would take the theory of like these angels that are sequestered, those are those angels, those are those demons, that they're so, their hatred for humanity is so violent that they are, God basically has to keep them under wraps because if they were to ever go out, like they're not like the demonic, the demons of, of Lucifer that like they hate us, but they play by the rules in a way, you know, like there's things that they will and won't do. It seems like these demons are so heinous in their hatred for us that they, when they go out, and you could read it on your own time in Revelation, when they go out, they start just slaughtering people, basically. Uh, specifically, the ones that are trapped in the river Euphrates. When they get out, I think, like, something crazy, like millions of people die Yeah. Uh, pretty quickly. So, yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, and some of the, like I say, some of the 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 popular kinds of, of pornography today in the comic genre, they really pull out this kind of violence mm. between angelic beings and women. Right, that it's not consensual. Yeah, yeah. So, so if you took, if you looked at just like the anime um, perversion, which is called hentai, and you looked at that, and then you looked at kind of the the angel looking beings and the intimacy that they portray with with women it's always violent it you know degrading mm. uh, incredibly harsh mm. and you know if there's a word to describe it demonic would be a good word right you know cuz it it just seems so extreme Right. You know, so horribly violent and 
filled with hate. Right. And if you think about it, it makes sense because if physical intimacy um, between a man and a woman and the bounds of marriage uh, and consummated through love is to reflect, it's not exact, but it's to reflect the intimacy that the Christian has with God, that the Holy Spirit enters into our life in a consensual status, right? We're inviting him in. And he comes into our life and he resides with us and we have love for one another. Uh, that would be a picture of the sexual union between a husband and a wife. Uh, it would make sense that demonic, as Bo put it earlier, demonic possession would be a violation of that. So if, if meaning that if the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is reflected in consensual loving sex, what kind of sex would be reflective of demonic possession? Uh, would it not be violent and oppressive? Uh, and, and so I think that's interesting thought as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And w w what's also interesting is this kind of material continues just to become more and more popular mm. and more and more um, uh, accepted. And so it's not it's not just my thoughts on that. If you just look at the statistics on what people watch yeah. and what they're into, this is going to be one of the ones, one of the top 20, right. you know, that that is on, on the list. And I think in my uh, studies and teachings at Pima um, at the college, it's it actually in the top 10. Uh, I want to say it's like sixth maybe um, in there. And so it's it's relevant, you know, because there is you know, there, there's kind of a spiritual twist to it all that just, you know, just like in Genesis 6 where it just seems that kind of that spiritual kind of evilness kind of lurking there, mm -hmm. you know, so much so like you say that the flood had to happen because of something that was so gnarly that was going on, whether it was just man to woman sex and that was something was going on there that was evil or if it was this angelic thing to to woman thing going on there you just see in popular pornography this weird remnant mm. of of angelic demonic sexual activity mm. that tends to just lurk throughout it so even even the names of the company i was talking to me my, my wife i was talking to my wife about just research stuff and i'll be teaching again in april and things like that but uh, i was talking about some of the, the, the ways that pornography uses demonic or biblical ideas like the fall um, in its material. Mm. And wasn't it like wicked entertainment? That's right. That's wicked I mean. entertainment, digital sin. I mean, the list goes on and on. Adam and Eve is huge. It's very popular. Um, you know, that's a company. Um, but you, you have you know all kinds evil angel is another one um but these these all have these kind of evil angel i mean what's that talking about demon yeah <laughs> yeah yeah that i mean to us that would be like demonic yeah you know so you know to you know is you know is there that thread of the demonic that is in you know this kind of material hmm. and and it's not so it's not so um silent on it right you know it kind of lets itself be known right and it would make sense you know like in romans it talks about the idols being demons which is interesting yeah so meaning that 
Paul wasn't under the impression that these people that, that were praying to these false gods were talking to nothing. Um, he did believe that there was a power there. There was some sort of a demonic presence kind of moving the people, uh, which makes sense. You know, when you listen to the founders of even like more contemporary religions, uh, there does seem to be a demonic pull. Uh, for instance, Joseph Smith encountered some sort of a presence in the woods that he described in very demonic terms, uh, talking about it overcoming him and making him feel like he couldn't breathe. Obviously, these stories are filtered. If you were to read in the Book of Mormon today and you were to read Joseph Smith's testimony, it's been altered from what he originally said to be he encountered the Father and the Son, but originally the testimony he was giving was that he encountered this blinding light that overcame him and almost suffocated him. Uh, Muhammad of Islam, when he was in the, the caves, jinn. he talks about the jinn, which are demonic sp uh, spirits, but when he was in the cave, he felt a presence enter into the cave and press on his chest until he felt like he was going to die, and then it commanded him to read or recite and he said it couldn't read, and then it kept doing it. And then after his encounter with this this being, this entity, he thought he was demon-possessed and tried to jump off a cliff to kill himself. And he kept on being stopped by the same presence uh, over and over again. Very demonic-sounding stuff, for sure. So uh, it would make sense that these demons, who once again are opposed to God in his way, one of the main areas that they would attack and pervert would be the sexual union now now let's stop there for a minute because because that that's a good place to kind of look at real real quick and see how we can pull the pendulum one way but then we have another problem for instance okay so so joseph smith and muhammad um okay they we look at their sexuality and we see that you know they were of course polygamist and 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 that was their issue and we could easily say well hey maybe that's because they were demon possessed that they had a spirit of sex sexuality <laughs> that was on them or in them right like a demo a demon was in them and so some people might say that that they were possessed and um that fallen angel that's in them is now going to pervert strict monogamy, Adam and Eve monogamy, and go into multiple women. And that is definitely something you can get on YouTube and, and find, I'm sure, a ton on, you know, right there. Now, the problem with that, that I see off my head by saying that they are demon-possessed, per se, to say that right off the bat, is that we have a problem biblically, right? Because there's a lot of people in the Bible that are polygamist, that if we were to say that they were demon influenced or demon possessed, right, we probably have a big theological problem going on. Right. So basically, there's this cool quote. I don't remember who said it, but I used to. I wanted to be an FBI agent for a while. Paul Bunyan. Uh, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I wanted to be an FBI agent for a while, and, and serial killers, like, really fascinated me. I wanted to become a tech detective to basically um, hunt down or track down serial killers. And, um, <laughs> That's awesome. So I was, like, researching all these different serial killers and some of the just, like, really twisted people out there, like H.H. H. Holmes and Jack the Ripper and some of the really grotesque things that they did. And um, one of the 
people, one of the FBI agents, he studied uh, fantasy. And he said that all the, if you look through the demons that we've created, they're actually not meant to be reflections of some spiritual evil, but they're be meant to be reflections of the dark nature of humanity, which I think is really interesting. So where did werewolves and vampires and these legends come from? Well, it didn't come from people encountering spiritual entities. It came from people encountering darkness within man that was so vile that they had to demonize it, meaning they had to say, like, this can't be man. This can't exist in man. This has to be something outside of this world to allow someone to do that, you know. And uh, as someone who's in the military and seeing how dark men can get, how violent and vile, by the way, not just men, but women too, how unbelievably inhuman people can be towards one another in sexual and non-sexual ways, it's very easy to look at that behavior and be like, that must be influenced by something beyond this world because there's no way that that exists in me. Uh, that's a very easy way to explain it away, in essence. But this, this detective said, we need not look to the supernatural to explain evil. Mankind is capable of every evil in ourselves. And uh, I always like that quote, and it's true. So again, when we talk about these demonic entities, they pull, by the way, they seem to pull different ways. Certain demonic entities pull more towards craziness or insanity some of them pull more towards sanity and arrogance. Some pull towards sexual perversion. Some seem to pull, and we'll read the section in a second, towards abstinence and sexual purity and morality. Uh, so demons in themselves, meaning that it's not like every demon's the same. It seems like demons in themselves have personality, and they tend to move in different ways. But you need not explain sexual perversion through demons. Mankind and ourselves are capable of any type of sexual perversion. So for sure, I, you know, this is just my personal take. I do believe for sure that Muhammad was possessed based on his own testimony and the way his life shifted after. Uh, Joseph Smith is kind of a question mark for me. I definitely think he encountered something in those woods that messed his life up. But if you read about his life before he had that encounter, he was always into the occult and weird stuff. Uh, so I don't know. But in other words, what I'm saying is that I think that Joseph Smith would have, if he had the power and ability, he would have always gone that way sexually, just based on his personality. Muhammad, on the other hand, he was a monogamous guy until he had that encounter, which is interesting. He, he only had one wife, and then after he had that encounter, he went real tilt and started having many wives. He started gathering sex slaves. He had sex with prepubescent girls. Things like that, like really crazy stuff happened in his life after that encounter. So I, I think that something crazy happened to him. But yeah. I don't think that demonic possession is the only way someone can get there. Um, yeah, because Paul says in Corinthians that don't you know when you pray to that idol, you pray to a demon. Mm -hmm. Doesn't he say something like that? Yeah. Pray to demons. Right. And, and Which is interesting because, you know, there is this, uh, this whole spiritual world out there and of good and evil the bible definitely stresses and and then there is a um and there by the way watching god really honing in on the on god and what how god treats human beings um that is a big part of what they do and their um, hatred towards god it seems like the fallen angels and people like uh, the devil um because they feel god maybe doesn't do what is righteous or 
unjust or things of that nature. They might think God is unjust. But I was thinking in Colossians 3, too, there's kind of some support to this idea that when when we are, uh, when we can't set up things like sensuality and sexuality as idols. Um, it says, uh, therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, okay, so sex outside of marriage, mm -hmm. uncleanness, which is usually talking about like an uncleanness sexually, um, passion, um, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So there's, there's an idea from here, because of these things, it says the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. So the sons of disobedience, which is interesting because that's, you know, the, instead of the saying the sons of God, the sons of disobedience. Mm -hmm. But idolatry here is being spoken of, right, Peter? I mean, it's talked about like the, the sexual, that when we do go into other areas of sexuality other than what God's created us for di to be involved in, then we, it, it, be it becomes an idolatrous practice right that's putting something before god so you know and this is the distinction that paul would be making he's saying that there is idolatry with a capital i you know and that is simply putting anything before god but then there's obviously gods that mankind has fabricated that we're worshiping instead of god so there's you know, little G's, gods, you know, so there's the idolatry that even um, a secular nation like America uh, would be committing. So basically anyone who's not putting God first in America would be considered idolatrous. Uh, it doesn't mean that they're bowing down and worshiping at temples, but it does mean that they are valuing things above the true and living God. And therefore they would be considered idolatrous. As Paul puts it in Romans 1, they serve and worship the creature rather than the creator. So they're looking to for satisfaction here on this earth rather than giving glory to God. Uh, but then there's this unique branch of idolatry that would be literally bowing down in front of a fabricated deity and giving worship and glory to them. Uh, this is the kind of idolatry that Paul's referencing in 1 Corinthians where he tells them not to do this because there is some sort of a power behind that idol. Although not near as powerful as the true and living God, there is some sort of a power or force there. Uh, which is, you know, like, I don't know if any of you guys have spoken to people from other faith groups and hung out with them and asked them about their experiences with their God. And uh, it's, it's almost chilling a little bit to hear their testimonies. Because uh, they'll, like, when I talk to Muslims or Mormons or Jehovah's Witness or any of these other faith groups, like, they will tell me real stories of encounters with beings you know visions uh, they'll talk about miraculous things happening in their life they'll talk about experiences like i've i attended a mormon church once and heard uh just a slew of people give their testimonies and they teared up and they were praying and i could tell that they were feeling something and <laughs> they're talking to somebody and they're a lot of them feel like they're answered by that being that they're talking to so it's either all made up that's a possibility it's all in their head or there's something there right they are talking to something and something is answering them uh but it's obviously not the true and living god so it could be a little chilling when you see it that way yeah now now in the in in talking about demons too you mentioned that 
uh, demons, c you know, can kind of go any way to distort us from from the avenue of un knowing the true and living God. Mm. And I know you want to hit one passage to really bring out the idea that it's not just licentiousness. Mm. Um, so one of the questions I had in this podcast was in the last days, what the Bible calls the last days, is it going to be a time of licentiousness sexually mm. or is it going to be a time of abstinence sexually? And that sound, and that might be weird, but we'll have, I'll have you just kind of bring up that passage and talk maybe a little bit about it. Yeah, it'll be cool because me and Bo are actually going to go over this passage in detail next Wednesday. So those of you guys who are going to be at this church or want to live stream it next Wednesday, that's, this is the passage we're going to be talking about. But, um, and then, these other questions are really good. Maybe we could just save them for the next podcast. Sure. Because we're kind of running out of time. Yeah. But um, in First Timothy 4, verse 1, Paul says this. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. So he's talking about the latter times, uh, the end, not, not necessarily the, the tribulation period, but definitely the period leading up to the tribulation period and probably incorporating the tribulation period. He's saying that this is going to start happening. People are going to give heed to this doctrine of demons. What's the doctrine of demons? Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received in thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. Now we know exactly what Paul's talking about because of the way he argues against it. Paul's actually arguing against a brand of um, heresy called Gnosticism. The Gnostics believed that the spirit and body were separate, and therefore the way to honor God, who is spirit, was by denying the body, by not taking care of the body. So for a Gnostic, some Gnostics believed this way. Other Gnostics were more licentious because they're like, well, if it doesn't matter what you do in the body, then let's eat and drink and be merry, you know? Right. Let's, let's do whatever. But some Gnostics were of the thinking of like, no, we must deny the body, don't do anything with the body. And notice what he's saying. They're abstaining from marriage, meaning that they've basically outlawed sex. And we know this is exactly the case. And by the way, this doctrine did land off his business in the Christian church for the next couple centuries. Uh, we have writings from early church fathers where we know that a lot of them became abstinent <laughs> because of this teaching. They they believed it. They were like, yeah, marriage is no good. You know, like getting married, that's that's not good. Like God wants us to be celibate. That that's the godly thing to do. And um, they and they didn't they didn't look at this passage and say, hey, we want to be involved in doctrines of demons. Let's right. not have sex. <laughs> I don't. That's not what was going on. But they looked at the idea the of sex. Right. Uh, I was thinking, did they look at the ideas of sex and shame and and thought sexual relations were evil right. and demonic right. um, and it was too too hard to have a good sexual relationship, so they didn't want to fall into the the evil category, so they just said <laughs> deny yeah no so the 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 main person that I'm thinking of in my mind is Saint Augustine, and we know from his uh, from his biography, he was heavily influenced by Greek thinking. In fact, before he was a Christian, he was a philosopher, a uh, Greek philosopher. He was heavily into Greek philosophy. Was he a Stoic? Uh, he wasn't. He was more into Plato, and okay. uh, he loved Plato. If you ever read the book The City of God, very lengthy book. <laughs> I've been reading it for like three years. I'm still like only 65% done with it. <laughs> uh, it's so long, and it's hard to get through, but there's some treasures in there that are really beautiful. 
but we know that he loved Plato. He really looked up to Plato. He eventually says that Plato's wrong, but one of the things I think just stuck in him was this idea of celibacy. He just could not shake it because before becoming a Christian, he was kind of a licentious dude. Uh, he had a lot of sex. He <laughs> went around just having sex. And I guess like being a philosopher back in the day made you like a rock star. Yeah, but totally. It's just like he was like living the rock star life. He would go on this lecture circuit and he was getting like all these girls like wanting to have sex with him, which just kind of makes me laugh. It would be like nowadays like a professor at Oxford. But it's like Solomon, right? <laughs> yeah. He's like so wise. <laughs> you, you're so smart. The Queen of Sheba's coming to check yeah. you out, right? <laughs> She's like, man, dude, this guy's awesome. <laughs> this yeah. guy's awesome. And he's pretty good looking. I guess. You know, like, yeah. So this is happening with him. When he became a Christian, he took a lot of these views of Greek philosophy and he incorporated them in Christianity. And he just said, like, dude, it's yeah, it's not good to have sex. And he became celibate for the rest of his life. Um, also, origin was another example of that. So what you see is it's, it, it actually came from Greek. The, the Greek Gentile Christians are the ones that move Christianity in this way, not the Jewish converts, which is makes sense because the Jews actually had a high view of sexuality. Right. It was these Greek philosophers that had such a low one. So and that's why when you're on the, uh, when you're on the, uh, the interesting kind of channel are not interesting channels, but just like movie channels. It's like, you know, Jewish sex, you know, it's like, and it's like a, a documentary or it's a teaching yeah. of, of Jewish intimacy. Right. And, um, and it's like quite popular, but uh, you know, cause the Jews definitely had a positive, view of intimacy right right they did and that's why paul is so adamant of getting at this but the main point that i want you guys to get from this is that not all demons are preaching this doctrine of have sex with whoever uh some of them are preaching a doctrine of celibacy why it depends on again it just depends on the demonic presence that you're dealing with but some demons like the idea of opposing god by opposing his law other demons like the idea of opposing God by opposing his grace. And actually, those philosophies that oppose God's grace as opposed to his law do far better, meaning they're far more tolerable to us as humans. Uh, when you look at modern day, like who we look up to in modern days, it's like, you know, the people who we really look up to as, as um, like role models they're not people going out saying like have sex with everybody, you know, get drunk, do drugs. You know, like these aren't people that even in America, we don't really hold people like that up. Uh, you know, some people do, you know, you got like different recording artists and stuff like that, that live that kind of lifestyle. And some people hold them up, but the more mainstream yeah. American, they're not doing that. It's more of a disciplined person who's got right. their life really, you know, they get up at five in the morning and they <laughs> do this and they're doing that and they're successful and they're kind of ducks in a row. That's right. That's the person that we're more holding up. And it kind of fits into what Paul's saying. It's like be equally, be equally weary, Timothy, of these people who are preaching a doctrine, not just of licentiousness, but also be weary of people teaching a doctrine of abstinence and discipline because if they're teaching abstinence and discipline as a means of righteousness then they're preaching against the gospel and uh not time to get into this right now but if you go through the book of hebrews that was essentially what was going on the writer of hebrews gives some of the most harsh harsh uh critiques of any other book in your new testament 
to the people reading the book of Hebrews and they were Jewish people who uh, they weren't doing nothing crazy. They were just going back to following the law and the sacrificial system. And he says harsh things like, man, you are putting the son of God to open shame. You're trotting him underfoot in Hebrews 10, which is kind of crazy. You are crucifying again the son of God. Really radical stuff that he says. And Paul in Galatians says similar things to people preaching a doctrine of legalism and religiosity. He says, man, like you guys, you have forsaken God. You have been anathema. Yeah, man, you're, you're separate from God. You, you have fallen from grace. You have become estranged from Christ. So, and then obviously in the book of Revelation, you see the same thing. Yeah, so next podcast, we want to talk about those other kind of oddities in, in the Bible that kind of deal with sexual imagery, sexual content, woman rides the beast, you know, the Antichrist, what the Bible says about the Antichrist, is the Antichrist asexual? What's the deal? Because there's some interesting passages about the sexuality hmm. of the Antichrist. I don't know if anybody knew that, but that's <laughs> kind of interesting true, yeah. to think about. And uh, hopefully the podcast was was pretty interesting to listen to because, man, I certainly found it quite interesting. Yeah, it's <laughs> some cool stuff that you don't normally think about. Yeah, you um, don't. But hopefully you guys dug it. And thanks for listening and being a part of it. You guys can always check out our work, too, at betterpleasure.net as I yawn. <laughs> right? So it's almost time for us to get out of here. So it'll be nice. That's right. And we'll talk to you guys later, okay? Have a great one. Bye-bye. Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series, Take Flight and Love or Lust. You can also send us questions on Twitter at Running Light or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries, Psalm 36.8. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures.